good morning. It's uh, good to be here. Um, I feel almost part of the furniture, having uh, sent Dave to be with you. Um, and then it's progressed even further than that because Nigel's up at Eve Lane. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on to which I'm grateful for God just to play a part. And uh, I want to make an investment in you this morning. After um, a month of really real illness and other things, um, you know, you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you've got. I think Corrie Ten Boom said that. And uh, until you're in that place where it's you and God and you just rely solely on him, then we're just paddling a different canoe. But I, I just want to share a word that I shared last Sunday morning at our place, uh, which has been born out of this kind of, for a month I sat on the settee, it was quite easy to rest my body, but it took a whole lot longer to get my mind to stop motoring and to be at peace and to allow the Holy Spirit to start dealing with me. And, and from that, we've been looking at church about discipleship. And uh, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 14, it says this, Jesus called his disciples that they might be with him. Now, that might seem like a bit of a strange verse. But I just want to paint a picture that I have three simple points. Jesus invested his time in his disciples. It wasn't just like, come to church on a Sunday and we'll worship together. It wasn't even to come to church on a Sunday and a Monday prayer meeting and a Thursday night and we'll learn some things. His disciples were with him 24 hours a day. And I believe that God has wanted to say to his church, just don't give me Sundays and parts of the week. I believe God wants to flow through us every single hour and every minute of every day. And we need to, to learn what it is to be true disciples of Jesus. And um, he could have done a whole lot differently to what he did, couldn't he? He could have opened a university, Jesus, and called his disciples to be with him and lectured them on evangelism and sent them out and get them to write papers and theological discussions. But actually, he chose to take them into the field where he preached to thousands and multitudes and people would be healed and delivered and set free. And his disciples would see exactly what he was talking about. You know, they always talk about show and tell. Jesus was great at showing and telling, showing his disciples how to do it. Very often we want to get people into church and we've got this whole thing about getting people to make decisions for Jesus. I've actually changed my whole attitude and mindset on that. I'm not looking for decisions, I'm looking for disciples. Because Jesus didn't tell us to go out into all the world and get some decisions. He told us to go out into the world and make some disciples, which is a whole different kettle of fish. As a church, personally, we've, we've done a, lot, a whole lot of work with a lot of disadvantaged people, people who are broken, and many of them have made decisions. But I can honestly say with a heavy heart this morning, some of them have not gone on to be disciples. And we could all say that, couldn't we? I bet the people have come to this church throughout the years that have made a decision for Christ, and yet after a few months or even a few years have wandered away. But God is looking for true disciples. And true discipleship is just based on that transparent relationship with Jesus. And so he had this kind of relationship with them where they could ask him anything. He was in the midst of their questions. He was in the midst of their quarrels. You know, um, one of my favourites is when um, 
the disciples, one of the disciples, two of the disciples' mother comes and she says, my boys are great. When, when you get to heaven, can one of them sit at your right hand and one of them sit at your left hand? And then the whole time when he's, he's walking down the road and his disciples are talking about who's going to be the greatest among them, and they're all, Jesus is hearing what they're saying. And he says, look, you want to be great, you're going to be like a little child and if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this relationship Jesus has with his disciples is all one about openness, trust, responsibility. And that's what God is calling us to do, to go and make disciples, to pour our lives into people and change them. Because Jesus understood this. He could spend a lot of time preaching and teaching, but it wasn't enough. People needed to see how that was lived out. And one of the things that we've started to do at Sedgley in particular, not, we've not kind of created a whole lot of home groups or small groups, but in smaller groupings we've taken people and we have men's Costa Monday every other week and the lads get together. And you know what? We, we talk about football, but then we talk about Jesus and something happens in Costa. The presence of God comes down and we start to see God working in our hearts and in our lives and Kelvin's been part of that. And one or two of the other lads have started to see their lives change because we've been pouring Jesus into each other every day, not just some days. And we all need the encouragement, don't we? Sometimes we think it's all about creating church groups. But actually, I'm, I'm deciding it's all about living for Christ, being a passionate follower of Christ, and being an example to those around and about me, but actually drawing people into my home. There's a guy that comes to our church, James. I'll try and get him to come down and give his testimony one of the days. He's tattooed from head to toe, and I mean his face as well. I took him out for breakfast the other morning at the Himley, uh, Himley Arms, Dudley Arms, and uh, people moved away from where we were sitting. That boy's been so transformed by the power of God, and he's now writing a program to, for gang members, and we're going to try and release that into a couple of pilot schools, and I'm going to be helping him with that. But, you know, he needs discipling. God has radically saved him, but he needs to be grounded in the Word. And for a lot of you, you've walked with God for a long, long time and you have so much to give to new people you don't realise. When I sat with him the other morning at my coffee table at home, James says, I'm getting so confused. I've listened to this on UCB. I've watched that on the God channel. You know, he just needs to sit down with people who've loved Jesus for a long time and just be told how to read his Bible, how to pray. And those things don't always just happen in church. We get like a sermon like this morning, you get half an hour of me and then you go home again but we really need to pour our lives into those so we can see people grow and be established and become firm in God. And so for three and a half years, Jesus disciples his disciples this way. The greatest teacher the world has ever known trains his disciples by personal contact. And it's mind-blowing to me how the church has moved so far away from that, that we want program, but Jesus never called us to create programs. He called us to make relationships and create disciples. And uh, they watched him as he prayed for the sick. They watched him as he performed many mighty miracles. And um, he didn't give them a rule book. He didn't say, this is what you need to do if you're going to be one of my disciples. All he said is, follow me. Just the way he was following the Father. Because he said to his disciples once, he said, I don't do anything that I don't see my Father doing. I don't say anything that I'm not hearing my Father say. Literally, he says, my eyes are on my Father all of the time. Now you put your eyes upon me and follow me. And for as broken and as weak as we are, we need to get new people to follow our example of living for Jesus. So that's a big responsibility on us to be true, true worshippers of God and to live our Christian lives properly. 
These boys traveled around the hillsides with him. They shared his food. Sometimes they shared his hunger and his weariness. Crowded streets by the lakeside. They saw him in every phase of his life. They saw him in the joys and in the, follow, in the, in the sorrows. And they saw him at his weakest and at his strongest. They saw him in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, look, Father, if it, was will, if it was your will, if you could get this cup to pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Because Jesus was tempted every way like we are, yet the Bible says without sin. So I wanted to paint that picture just to make a few points about how we live for God and how we encourage people around us because of our example to live for God as well. And um, I think it's Bill Johnson that says that Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want people to look at me and say, if you've seen Steve, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Steve, you've seen what it is to walk like, like Jesus. And that's a big challenge for all of us. But there's three things I want to talk about this morning. Relationship, honesty, and encouragement. The first thing is this, relationship. Being in relationship with godly people brings about a stability in our lives. I've learned this. If I want to get on fire for God, I need to be with people who are hungry and on fire for God. How many times have we been with people who've moaned and groaned, and it hasn't added to our spiritual growth, it's diminished our spiritual growth. And therein lies a challenge about the relationships that we have and the people that we talk to and the people that we're connected to. I want to be connected to those that really, truly are on fire for God and love God with all of their hearts and all of their minds and all of their strengths. And that's the best way of maturing believers is to get them to be with people that are on fire for God. We've got a whole lot of uh, hard men in our church. Uh, Andy Flute, the boxer, Jay, the bodyguard, and these boys have been really, really strong in discipling people. And they're really pouring their lives into them. Will you pray? Because Andy Flute's written a book about his, his conversion experience, which is amazing. And we can't go into that this morning. But Chris Eubanks has now got a copy and he's reading it. And uh, there's an aim to get this book into every single prison in the UK. Uh, I wrote the forward and the publishers put it at the back. And it's really just saying, you can find Jesus like Andy's found Jesus. So we really want people to... It, it, it's, it's gruesome, the language in it is terrible, but when it comes to find Jesus, it's an amazing story. But we want to be in relationship with people. And you can reach people that other people cannot reach. And you can have an input into people's lives that other people cannot have. So relationship is absolutely key. It's not about programs, it's not about coming to a church building. It's about having a loving family and a relationship with God. The second thing I want, which, which I want to give some more time to really is honesty. The Bible says the sin that so easily besets us. If we're all honest, I want you to be honest with me this morning. If you're all honest, there's that in your heart that you know always trips you up. Some people, it's sex. For some people, it's money. For other people, it's pride. Now, we're talking about things in church we don't want to talk about, but let's be honest for a moment. The sin that so easily besets us. There's always that, that thing that just gets you. The enemy can always just put that little key in and turn it and get you to be tempted or get you to fall into sin. And the Bible says about all of us, the sin that so easily entangles us or besets us. That's why James says in his epistle, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. 
And people take this final verse out of its context, which is, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When we confess our sin one to another and we pray for each other, God strengthens us all. And we were just talking, Dave and I, at the door about certain things, issues in our world right now. We've just got to be honest. Because very, very soon, we've already experienced this in Sedgley, our first transsexual will walk through the door and they're going to need some help and they're going to need some love. And we've written a policy document about sexuality, but all summed up in the final sentence, which I wrote, which is, we will always be like Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Now, Jesus was not 50% grace and 50% truth, because that's compromise. He wasn't a cocktail of one part or another. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. So you get him, don't you, when he meets the woman caught in adultery in the very act. And she's dragged in front of the religious people. That begs the question where the man was who was also caught in the very act. But it seems to me that the, 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 the asshole was put on this poor lady. He didn't condone her sin, but he allowed his, the grace to be manifest and said, look, go and sin no more. Forgiveness came, but then there was a straight line that says, look, you can't live this way now, I have forgiven you. And we've got to stand in a very, very set of dark days and be full of grace and full of truth. We've got to let people through our doors and love them regardless, full of grace, but not compromising once on the Word of God. The second we start to compromise on the morals and the stance of God's Word is the time the church begins to crumble and is beginning to crumble right around the world. In fact, I'm telling you now, there's some very, very big churches, what stuff that's getting preached right now, they, they will not stand. When the wind starts to blow, they will not stand. Because anything less than standing full on God's word, you're going to find there's a whole lot of cracks come. And you're going to find a whole lot of stuff that you don't want to be involved in. So we need to be totally honest. None of us are perfect. I told, I told our uh, folks last week, you know, Peter, Jesus is prophesying over him. He said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It wasn't much long after he finds himself in the courtyard warming himself and this little girl says, you were with Jesus, weren't you? He curses her. He tells her to do one and get, I've never been with him. I never knew the man. Three times. So we worry sometimes that we're not good enough to disciple people or to encourage people. This is the master at it. Three and a half years at discipling Peter and he still manages to cock it up, doesn't he, Peter, at the end and deny the master. But Jesus then full of grace after he's risen from the dead, on the shore, looks at him, sees Peter out of the boat, and Peter knows he's the master, and he thrashes his way through the water, and he gets to the shoreline, and he says, Peter, if you love me, we can start all over again, and we can start feeding the sheep like we've been doing. I made you a fisher of men, now I'm going to make you a tender of flocks. See, you know, the trouble with churches, we play a super spiritual card, and people can come through the door and think, I can never be like those. Those are two holy people. We all know we're not that holy. I tell our folks, I do not go home and prophesy in my slippers. And when I've hit my hammer my, my, on my thumb on several occasions, I did not start speaking in tongues. Do you know what I'm saying? We're not that holy. We are not that holy. You say, well, that's a bit hard, isn't it, Steve? Well, listen, if you don't believe me, just believe the Apostle Paul. Romans 7 says this, New Living Translation. 
I don't really understand myself. <laughs> well, that would be true about all of us, wouldn't it? I really don't understand myself. For I want to do right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law, that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does the wrong. I know that nothing good lives in me, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't not want to do what is wrong, but I always do it. Would that be true of all of us? So there's going to be a level of honesty, I think, in terms of discipling people and loving people to faith. And one of the things we've found on Costa Mondays, we go up to Castlegate, sit around the table and just drink, well, I don't drink coffee, I'm keen on the coffee, the tea's all right, though. And we, we, just, have a, we just have a tour. One of the things we found is, you know, especially some of the younger guys talking to the likes of me and Andy Bates and some of the others, is that actually we've had our issues and problems in life. But when they see us in church, they see us as we are now and they think we've got it all together. They don't realise how much we've had to fight through. And even in these last three or four weeks, I've had to fight through a lot of issues in my own life in serving and pursuing God. And we all need to know that. Instead of coming here and the preacher gives this great preach, none of us feel worthy. We all go away thinking, well, I can't attain to that. Listen, Jesus just wants us to follow him and he'll do the changing. He just wants us to encourage each other and he'll do the rest. You see, we can't pretend to be one thing and then live another way. That's called hypocrisy, and Jesus wasn't big keen on hypocrisy, was he? Hypocrisy comes from that, uh, the whole essence of Greek play acting, where they used to wear them horrible white masks, you know, not like the clown masks, but a bit with a stick. And they used to put the, the mask in front of their face and pretend to be somebody they weren't. And I think sometimes in church there's been a whole lot of that, that we pretend to be very, very spiritual on a Sunday morning. But then we've had a church meeting and everybody's decided to row. We've put on a different mask. We're all holy on a Sunday. It's easy to fool people in here. Just put your hands up. Everybody will think you're really spiritual. I don't want to be in the place where I, I, I just create a persona. I want to be a true follower of Jesus. The scripture tells us this. We have this treasure this salvation, this Holy Spirit that God has given us in jars of clay. We're not all super spiritual like we pretend we are. We're all broken clay pots that God has chosen by His grace to pour His Spirit into. Our humanity is fragile. We're prone to sin. When I preached this last Sunday morning, our, our music team don't very often pick a hymn. But actually, I'd chosen him before I'd preached this, which I'd quoted, which I'd gotten my notes a verse from, which was just so amazing. It's from the hymn come, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In the final verse, it says this, O to grace, so great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let the goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it in thy courts above. If we're all honest, we're all prone to doing what we want to do rather than what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. We're all people who have this treasure in jars of clay. So when you see somebody and you see Mr. Big on the God channel, 
or some great preacher or somebody that you aspire to be. Listen, we're all the same. We all are prone to sin. We all are so easily entangled with it. And we all have this treasure in jars of clay. So let's just be honest with each other, pray for each other, and encourage each other on. Which brings me to my final point. Encouragement. The contraction of two English words. Encourage. To give courage. I want people around me that give me courage to do things that I've not done before. And to go any places in God that I've not been before. I don't know about you, I just need the encouragement. A lot of the time in church is not like that, is it? But we really do need to be encouraged. That spurs us on to greater things and greater heights in God. Encouragement will change the way you operate when you feel that people are for you and not against you. And one of the things I've been telling my church so hard over these last few weeks is this. Negative words never bringing a positive outcome. You might not feel like saying to somebody how you feel today, but actually I'm starting to, to feel like, you know, we need to be careful of what we say to people and how we treat people. The second commandment after the greatest commandment is to love our neighbours like we love ourselves. We wouldn't treat ourselves the way we treat other people in church, but we, we do and we've said things. And if you, if you haven't been abrasive to somebody in church or said the wrong thing, if you could just please fly out to your chair, do a couple of laps around the ceiling and land back down in it again, that would be really useful for us this morning because none of us are angels, are we? I just think there needs to be a new level of honesty about our walk with God. My, my big fear is that we can create a, a, a church atmosphere with, with a band and with lights and with what looks modern and, and cutting edge and, and really just still miss the point that Jesus wants us to make disciples. I'm not decrying any of that stuff. I love it all. I, I love it all. I, I, I just, I, I'm amazed at what God is doing in the earth and I, I, want, I want the best that we can have at Sedgley and, and for you guys down here and to Eve Lane and I want us to be growing churches, churches on fire for him. But I don't want us to really miss the point that, you know, we come here and it becomes spiritual entertainment. That we like the songs, the new songs. Well, actually, we hate the new songs. We like the hymns. I used to tell our folks as well, it makes me laugh. You know, Amazing Grace, it was a new song once. And I bet a whole lot of people hated it when that came out as well. You know what I'm saying? And, and some of the songs that we sing in church, you know, especially the old ones, uh, I, can't, I can't remember what it was, but th there was two or three that I found, th they were German drinking songs, actually. Uh, they just put Christian words to them. So, and they sound like German beer drinking songs as well. Do, 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 do. We get so tied up with the old and the new. You know, I have to say, you know, people come up to me in church and go, I didn't enjoy the worship this morning. Well, that's good because it wasn't for you. It was for him. So what you're really saying is you preferred a style of music or you preferred a different sort of song or a different sort of liturgy if you want to be religious. But actually, at the end of the day, it was only supposed to pose glory and honour to Jesus. So if it's just a word of encouragement for some of you, if you don't like some of the old stuff, 
enjoy some of the old stuff. There's some great theology in it. If you don't like some of the new stuff, give it a go. There's some great theology in what we sung, some of those songs, you know, today. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. So we're singing lies now as well as talking about them. Because a lot of us are fearful, aren't we? We are slaves to fear, some of us. You might not see it that way, but I was saying to Kel just earlier, you know, a derivative of fear is embarrassment. And many of us are so embarrassed to say that we live for Jesus. We're all right when we're in church, but you put us outside somewhere else. And I think I told you this before. I've been, I'm a third-generation Pentecostal, so I should know better. But it, it wasn't until probably five years ago I, I could preach my way out of 25 cardboard boxes. I, I'd go on holiday to preach. I can lay hands on the sick and prophesy over you till, till, I, till I get tired and fall over because that's what I love. And I, 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 I prided myself on being a fairly good, decent leader in many respects. But can I be just politely blank, honest with you this morning? My personal witness for Christ was rubbish. Outside of the church, there was a real level of just not wanting to, you know, when you get involved in a conversation with somebody, not really want to talk is about Jesus. I'm just trying to be honest. That might not be your thing. Prayer might be your thing. You might be struggling with prayer. But for me, my personal witness was on an all-time low. And then God began to open doors to me to do funerals and other things. And I think I told you this before. You know, don't ever argue with God. I know we do, but don't, you know, you're never going to win that argument. And um, I, I remember somebody asked me to do a funeral, and uh, I drove over to Wollaston. It was, a fr- it, was a, it was a February morning, and it was snowing. And I said to God, I don't even know why you want me to do this stuff. I don't think it's a good idea. This woman lives so far away from my church, she'll never, ever come to church. There's snow on the ground. I could be doing a whole lot better things than coming over here. I knocked on the woman's door, and she, there she was in floods of tears. She'd lost her, her husband of many, many years. And she was sat there in a chair, and to the side was a settee with a, a friend. And a friend, uh, unbeknownst to me, was a Christian who'd been praying with her for 20 years. And as we began to talk about her husband, she stopped me. She said, can we just stop there before we carry on and sort this eulogy out? Can I just say to you this morning, Steve, I think God brought you here. And she said, I need to know Jesus. I thought there was somebody behind the settee with a camera. I thought somebody would wear me up. From that moment on, I suddenly realized it was never about me, but it's always about the work of the Holy Spirit. A friend jumped up off the seat and said, God bless. I've been praying for us for 20 years. That lady's still going on with Christ now. She's going to a lovely Methodist church, still following Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? But let's be honest about our personal witness. We've got to get sharper and stronger at it. And now I don't care. You can't stop me witnessing. I'm, I'm talking to people about Jesus all of the time. In fact, I forget that they don't understand. I had to do a little bit of... I haven't done much business, basically, because I've got that busy with church. One of my friends asked me to do some business the other day. I ended, I ended up saying at the end of the phone call, God bless you, I'm going to be praying for you. And he went, hey, Steve, what? Because the truth is, God bless him, and I, I will be praying for him, and he's coming to faith. I, I believe that with all of my heart. He got so depressed the other week. I've been praying for him. He took the buzz into town. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a really powerful businessman. He took a buzz into town, got completely confused. In, in, in some kind of depressive state and actually just walked into a local church on an afternoon on a dinner time and they were running an alpha course and he sat and he listened to it and he rung me back and said, Steve, people have been talking to me today about Jesus. This bloke lives in Derby. 
You could say, well, what, you know, how am I going to ever, ever be able to bring him to church? Not my worry, I'm going to bring him to Jesus. I'm going to help disciple him. I'm going to find him a church. We need to be on fire. And to go into all this world and make disciples, not cause people to make decisions. We all need more than that. We all need the relationship. We all need the honesty. And we all need the encouragement. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that it's precious. And I pray for St. Paul's, that Father, that they would make disciples, that there would be real growth here, not just out of people making decisions for you, but people opening up their hearts to become followers of you and for the people here to be input into their lives in such a way they become stronger, mature, and they too then go make disciples, and they make disciples, and they make disciples. Lord, that's what you've called us to do. So help us this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.